Hello and welcome back to the Back to Gold podcast. It's episode 23. My name is Cameron Smith and I'll be your host today. And joining me, as ever, is my co-host, Jamie Monks. Jamie, fresh off a Manchester Derby win. Yes. Um, did not think that going into the weekend, to be honest, because in the past, you know, when there's been you know, United on, on the ascension and City sort of stagnating, it's been usually a drubbing, to be honest. Uh, it's usually when you know, there was a period where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was at the club where we looked down and out. It was like if he loses the derby, he could be gone, and we'd pull out a shock, shock result. And, you know, I remember a few times we won at the Etihad uh, during his reign, um, and I thought it, it was going to be you know the same. We've but we've been on the up under Eric Ten Hag, and I thought we're going to be in trouble here. But with some dodgy refereeing helping us out, we got the win. Yeah, what was it like? In the stadium at Old Trafford, I'm assuming like once that Fernandez goal went in, the atmosphere just ramped up massively. Yeah, no, it went up a, a level. Um, yeah, I think the, the only sort of game similar this season was probably the Liverpool game where we won two one. Um, that that was an electric night as well. Um, so yeah, so the Fernandez goal go, goes in, and it's just sort of you can see in the um, in the Rashford goal. We're sort of willing on Garnacho. Like the, the noise around the stadium was absolutely uh, just world class. To be honest, <laughs> we're not we're not always known for you know best support United. So I think that's well known. But yeah, Old Trafford that day was certainly electric. Yeah, I think City from from when I watched the game, like they just didn't look as threatening as they have done hmm. in the past. Like the only shot on target was the Grealish goal, and it wasn't like United. Sort of got lucky with him. Obviously, the first goal we'll get onto it in a minute. Like it shouldn't really stand, but in terms of the overall play, I think United were probably the better team. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd say definitely first half we were a hundred percent because we completely nullified any sort of build up that City tried. You know, obviously Fred on De Bruyne was very good. Uh, I also thought Fernandez being the wide player was good as well because you have Cancelo drifting in on that side so often and he's you know more used to defending them central spaces so I, I think having Fernandez there going into midfield a lot of the time definitely helped us out in terms of you know just defending those spaces that Cancelo usually picks up at left back um, and we obviously get that big rush of chance where he takes it past Edison and it was just a really weird sort of finish it was so tame yeah no conviction to it at all um, he usually smashes them in that situation and he just thought yeah I'll just pass it back to Akanji you, you have that there Um and I thought when Rashford goes down with the hip flex problem, I thought, that's it, we're done. We've had our one chance against City. They're just going to take control. And they did in that second half, I thought. I thought we, we really struggled to get out of the half at times, especially um, in the first 25 minutes of that second half. But then, once again, that Fernandez decision, that, that offside dodgy goal, sort of you know sparked us back into life. Yeah, obviously, I mean, we'll get into it now, the offside that wasn't given... Um... What was it like, first of all, from the same like the fans? Like, what was it? Obviously, it was given offside to start with, and then um, the ref gave a goal, and it was was it a bit of a shock or? Um, so yeah, no, it, it was weird because I, uh, I'm I'm sat in the east stand, and it's you know so far away at, at the Stretford end. So th- there's a bit of confusion amongst the fans. Like we were trying to work out what had happened exactly, and then um, you see the ref go over to the linesman, and you're sort of thinking he might give this because the. When when the linesman and um, referee chat like that close together at times, when they go over to the sidelines, the decision's usually overturned, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then when when the referee points, when Stuart Atwell points to the, the halfway line, and, you know it's absolute pandemonium. Yeah, like getting onto the decision itself. Um, I'm assuming you're in agreement with me that it is an offside. Look, like, the referees like, gave it. It's, <laughs> it's a perfectly good goal in my eyes. Um, like I mean, it's. Uh, it's a bizarre decision with VAR as well. You imagine that that would have been something that VAR would have looked at and overturned the initial decision. Um, I'm not really sure how it could be judged that Rashford is, isn't is influencing things, like whether that's a Kanji, whether that's Edison. I think if Rashford's taken out the equation, it's a whole different scenario, really. Um, I can see like why they haven't, like why they've sort of given the goal in terms of, you know, Rashford actually hasn't touched the ball but you don't have to touch the ball to be interfering with play and um, the next day I saw 
um, Bri- uh, Brighton. Not that they literally hours later saw Brighton v Liverpool when Trent was given an offside from like a sort of deflection, and he was standing offside position. It was the ball was going out for a Liverpool throw, and he was sort of just wandering towards the ball, and then it was you know didn't touch it. It was given offside, and you think if that's been given as offside, why is you know something that's led directly to a goal being given? But your thoughts on it are uh, perfectly good goal. Now um, we, we've seen this. We saw this last week with um, the Mo Salah goal against Wolves, didn't yeah. we? Where we're saying. How how on earth hasn't he affected Totti's decision to head the ball? Because if he doesn't go to head it, then Salah just gets through clean. But he's he's offside, so he's affecting Totti's decision to head the ball. Um, and it's happened again here. Akanji easily just runs to the ball and sweeps it up because he, he he sees Fernandez coming. But with you know Rashford, the way he sort of shepherds the ball to yeah. Fernandez, he's clearly affecting play, and uh, there definitely needs to be some sort of review on that on the way that referees are enforcing that sort of offside law right now. Yeah, I think that the FA will take a look at it. I think there's been a lot of backlash um, well, in that Wolves game and in this this game as well. So I think the FA will, will probably take a look at it. But obviously, it's helped United out massively. Obviously, only a point behind Man City now. Um, level on points with Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle only lost one game all season, which is just pretty mental. And that was but, a pretty dodgy loss as well, that 97th yeah. minute winner yeah, so it's, at Anfield. It's you know United are are in a title race here. Like I know Arsenal were eight points clear, but we're only halfway through the season. I mean we've seen leads bigger than this blown, um, and I think that you know our City have proven that they're such good chasers in title races when Liverpool have been ahead of them in the past. But United have have clearly shown under Ten Hag that they've grown massively since the start of the season and. I think they are. Like I think they are in a title race. I don't think they'll win it, but I think they very much could go to line. Obviously, they've got massive clash coming up against Arsenal soon. If United win that, I think they are definitely in a title race. Um, the party line for me is we're two points away from safety. Let's just get the two points, <laughs> and then the season sort of, you know, in my eyes, it's a success because two two games into the season, I think ourselves have been uh, we were like twenty two to one to get relegated. Which was at the time the same odds as Everton. That's I think. crazy. <laughs> um, so it, in my eyes, you know, from that point, it's all about you know staying up because we, we were you know with Everton in terms of you know an absolute relegation dogfight. So I'm happy to just you know get my forty points, get out of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the topic of Merseyside, not Everton but Liverpool, three um, 0 loss to Brighton. Um, a pretty really poor display from Liverpool but a brilliant performance from De Zerbi's Brighton I think we've praised them a lot on this podcast um, the impact that De Zerbi's made it's not just he's taken Potter's team and it's you know he's changed nothing and they've bef- performed this well he has changed a lot and I think the centre-halves have been brilliant the way that they sort of invite pressure um, and then play out from a press is, is absolutely superb and Brighton were completely dominant in this game um, I think they probably deserved to be ahead in the first half didn't get it then Solly March obviously got a quick fire double in the second half you know the second one to go especially is a really really nice finish finish from Solly March I think it's four goals and three assists in his last five games um, and you know Brighton were good value for this 61% possession um, 16 shots to six nine shots on target to two like this was complete domination and, and Liverpool will have to go back to drawing board because they have been off the pace for, for quite a few weeks now yeah I think this was the first game for quite a while, where I've gone in saying, you know, when it's Liverpool against a smaller, quote unquote, smaller side, not a big six team, um, and I've just thought, yeah, they're going to lose this game. Brighton will win this. Yeah. I, I don't think it'd be this comfortable, but I, I, I had a feeling Brighton would win this because Liverpool are in disarray right now. This is something we haven't seen mass, really from Klopp. Uh, yeah, you know, just you know, for you know, a good four or five years, you know, uh, prior to yeah, Van Dyke's and Allison's arrival, um, I just think <sighs> when you spend thirty million on Gakpo, and you, you, your budget's already pretty, you know, strapped, um, not addressing the midfield issues right now will kill Liverpool and their, any sort of chance they have of getting top four. Yeah, I think Gakpo was pretty anonymous in the game, but I don't think it was his fault most of the time. Yeah, no, but that, that, yeah, that's the thing. Just, yeah. They had no nothing in the midfield. Like Brighton completely dominated the midfield area. I think McAllister, Caicedo completely ran the show, really. Um, 
Mitoma against Trent was obviously a, ma- a, a major talking point. You got into the game and one that you thought, well, that's an area that Brighton can expose. And Mitoma was brilliant in the game. Mm. Um, Trent could get nowhere near him, really. Um, and it's not a surprise because Mitoma has been doing that to fullbacks throughout the season, really. Um, obviously, massive fans of him on this podcast. And yeah, I, I like you. I went into thinking Brighton will win this game. I never really had any doubts about that. Um, and that just shows the contrast between the two teams right now. And, and Brighton on such an upward trajectory. Um, they'll go fifth if they win their game in hand. And although sort of top fours may be a little bit of a stretch, considering the two Manchester teams, Newcastle and Arsenal, they can definitely finish fifth. Mm. Spurs are looking off the pace. Chelsea, obviously, too. Liverpool here. So... I think Brighton are a really good bet for European football this this season, and not just you know Conference League football. I think Europa League football. Brighton have got a great chance again, and obviously that will stretch their squad next season. And it remains to be seen who, which players they'll lose. Obviously, Cole will. Been reports that Chelsea are keen to extend his contract and are looking to make him like a key player next season. Caicedo wanted by Liverpool and Chelsea, but Brighton have shown that they can replace stars that they they've lost. They've done it with Kukurea, done it with Ben White, done it with Bissouma. So I don't think that will impact them too much. And Deserby, I think, is getting his flowers, and deservedly so, because I do think that he has made changes to this team. It's mm. not just Graham Potter's Brighton, um, and that needs pointing out. And another player that we'll get onto from Brighton, uh, someone you want to highlight, someone I watched at the Hawthorns when I watched Brighton in the FA Cup against West Brom last season. Uh, 18-year-old Irish striker Evan Ferguson. I know you're a big fan. Um, yeah, I mean, I've only watched. You know, since he came into the team against Arsenal, you know, a handful of games, but I'm already convinced that this this guy is top top class. He's got it all for me when it comes to a striker. He's obviously got the build in terms of you know pinning defenders, but he's also so nimble footed. Whenever he does get on the ball, you know, you saw for um, his assist uh, for for Solly March, his second goal, the way he drops deep and then he just turns so sharply. Yeah, his agility for someone of that frame is. You know, it's a it's a physical marvel to to, to watch, and obviously the, the the ball through to March is sensational as well. Um, big fan, United get him in because we're struggling for you know strikers. <laughs> yeah, no, he obviously a really interesting story. He made his debut for Irish club Bohemians at fourteen years of age, um, and then joined Brighton and has sort of been slowly worked into into the first team and was training a lot in the first team last season. Like I said, I saw him at the Hawthorns, he came off the bench in the FA Cup and sort of changed the game really um, off the bench and, and Brighton won it in extra time I think um, and yeah he's, he's been really good since coming obviously there's been reports of De Zerbe and Trossard falling out, Trossard looking for an exit and that's obviously helped Ferguson get a place in the team um, but he's fully taken that chance and is now deserving of that starting spot and yeah just 18 years of age leading the line for a team who are you know a good bet for European football this year in the Premier League that's pretty sensational achievement mm. and I think that it won't be long like you say before clubs start circling obviously I think he'll need a little bit more time considering he's had what maybe three starts or something like that in the Premier League which obviously isn't that much sort of time to go off but yeah he, he looks like a really good pranny and he suits the way Deserve he's playing as well yeah uh, I, I also don't think losing Trossard is going to be as big a miss as some people are saying I think right now Matoma's better at left wing yep. than Trossard and you know Ferguson's a better striker because you know but before this it was Trossard starting at, at striker and yeah. before the falling out. I, I don't think they're going to really miss a beat. Obviously, you'd prefer to have someone like Trossard coming off from the bench to make a difference. You know, late on in games, but you know th- this training ground bust up that they had. Um, I don't think Brighton will be you know too worse for it. No, I I completely agree. I think obviously his his contract expires in the summer, so he'll either leave in January or in the summer. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think, but obviously the squad depth is harmed. And if Brighton do get European football, then that will be a problem. But I don't think that they'll be, you know, their best starting lineup right now doesn't include Trossard, regardless of the falling out, I don't think. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a massive miss for them. Um, and we'll move on from Brighton Liverpool now. And we'll get on to the North London derby. About time we talk about the league leaders, Arsenal. Um, this never really felt in doubt, really. I think this was always going to be an Arsenal win, I think. Going away to Tottenham, they just produced a, a title winner's performance, really. Yeah, a lot of talk going into this game saying, you know, Arsenal rarely do it. Well, the North London derby is it's very rare for an away team to win. Um, but this was sort of, you know, a real representation of the gulf in, in you know, 
the team's evolutions right now. You know, Conte, Spurs, just sort of, you know, stagnating to you know a sixth place finish at the moment, and you know, Arteta's Arsenal just flying high, and um, yeah, didn't re- didn't really stray from the script at all, which was a bit you know boring to be <laughs> honest. You know, Manchester derby, City go one 0 up, and we just snatch it from them. Yeah, you know, I needed a bit more from the Prem script writers in, in this game. Yeah, it was sort of just so easy for Arsenal at times. Um, the Erdegaard goal, really nice finish from outside the box, but even that was just like a really simple goal. Like Spurs were just played through so easily. Mm. Arsenal didn't really have to try. And the first goal is obviously just a massive mistake from Hugo Lloris, but it's the kind of thing that you sort of come to expect from him now because he is in that stage of his career where he is making these mistakes more and more often. And it's... Uh, let's say like you want a keeper who makes the easy save, make, makes the saves he should do. Whereas Lloris is someone who who make an outstanding save that he probably shouldn't save, but then also something like this happened, which is just it's not really excusable, really. Mm. Um, and I know that Spurs fans online have been sort of calling for his head, really. Um, and it is an area that they can definitely upgrade. But then you look at a lot a lot of you know, positions in their squad, and, and they're they're upgradable. Um, but it remains to be seen if they sort of back Conte because it's always hard with Conte. You never know whether to fully invest in the squad because is he going to be there in six months' time yeah. to actually work with those players? So it's it's a you know it's it's hard really, and I do understand that. But Spurs right now look really toothless. Yeah, um, I mean, Larice in both North London derbies this season has cost them massively. If, if you you know think back to that first one at the Emirates. Um, Arsenal go two one up through you know Saka's shot being parried straight out to Romero by Lloris and then it goes under him the little nod back from Romero goes straight underneath Lloris and Jesus just taps it in to make it two one um, and the fact that Conte still in his post match press conference saying he's a world class keeper still it's is it nepotism potentially you is, just can't really understand it I understand like backing your players yeah. but. It's come to a point where, I mean, he's not going to drop Lloris for Fraser Forster, is he, really? No. Um, but, but you could maybe look for a keeper in January. I think Nuno, uh, say what you want about Nuno's spell at Spurs, but he actually did want to try and move on Lloris because mm. he realised this guy ain't, ain't cutting the mustard anymore. <laughs> um, and how Conte can't see that is pretty baffling, to be honest. Um, but apart from that, you know, Spurs looks yeah, completely toothless the entire game. Yeah, a few half chances with Son going through in the first half and and Kane. Um, but apart from that, if they're not, you know, if their players aren't going through Kulusevski, which it did for you know a spell in the second half, and they looked fairly threatening. Yeah. But then Conte moved him back to right wing back, which was just you know, an awful decision. If if the players not going through Kulusevski, they just don't look like creating anything. Yeah, I I think it's worth noting that Ramsdale had a, a really good game. Um, I, I've. Don't quite think he's the the keeper. Maybe some people make him out to be. I think that he is slightly a liability. But I thought in this game he he was really good. Um, and Arsenal just yeah really impressive. I really liked how Ben White and Saka combined down the right. Ben White would have it. Saka would be on the touchline, and then Ben White would sort of play it a through ball inside. So Saka was already running in fields. His first touch could take him driving inside, and I think that worked really really well. It was almost Saka coming in inside to that half space whereas normally it's Saka really wide mm. and and White's in that half space um, so Arteta changed something a little bit there and I thought that was a really nice dynamic because it meant Saka was just able to get the run on Sesson Young every time um, and I think that's a key reason why Arsenal were, were, you know found it so easy to play through Spurs um, Odegaard again had a, had a really good game and off the back of it obviously scored off the back of it seen a lot of Odegaard should be player this season this year in the in the Premier League, um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's definitely in the conversation. Yeah, um, a lot of people also say you know you can't ignore Haaland's goals. You know his goal scoring record is insane. Um, but you can also say someone like Casemiro as well. I'd, I'd say mm-hmm. the way he's transformed United as well. Um, Saka as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I think he's probably a lock for player, a young player of the year, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, but he could potentially win player of the year as well. Um, but yeah, no, Odegaard has definitely you know gone up another level this season because there were times, even early on in the season, when in in the other reverse fixture of this North London derby where he did sort of disappear a little bit. He he can in them big moments ten, he tends to sort of go into the into the shadows and sort of hide. 
but I think over the last you know two or three months he has certainly come to the fore and been you know Arsenal's key man. Yeah, I think he really works under Arteta. I remember, I think it, it might have been his first game when he came on loan. It was away at West Ham, um, and he was just creating so much stuff. There was no assist or anything, but it was Callum Chambers playing right back that day. And I remember Odegaard just really standing out to me. Didn't get any assist or anything like that. But well, he's, he's getting pretty assists yeah, for Callum Chambers. Yeah, yeah they came back. Yeah. they were two 0 down, weren't they? Yeah, and I thought that, that was when I was like, okay, Odegaard obviously. It didn't work out at Real Madrid, but he's he was really good when he played in the Netherlands. Really good at Sociedad, mm. and I think it was it was never really a doubt that he was going to be a success at Arsenal. But that was the game where I thought, yeah, he's going to be really special under Arteta. And, and like you say, you know, last couple of months he's been superb and is sort of leading their title charge really. Because think of him as sort of the creative force that he is, but he's also got so many goals. I think it's mm. like eight goals in the league now. So it's it's that's a, a side of his game that he always could have improved that even at Sociedad I think that was a, a side of his game he could have, could have improved that and he's shown that now he's got that you know goal scoring gene even though he's sort of playing as a you know right central midfielder but he's not even really playing as a number 10 he's he's playing in a 4-3-3 he's getting this many goals and yeah really really encouraging stuff for Arsenal that they are now eight points clear I know it's obviously we're not even at the halfway stage in the Premier League season yet for Arsenal anyway they've played 18 games but they're looking very good it remains to be seen obviously if Injuries or anything like that happen because I think an injury to party would be massive for them. Mm. I think even maybe more so than Erdogan, just because I think I'm not sure if I mean I'm not sure like El Neni or Laconga can replicate what party does. I think maybe Fabio Vieira can replicate what Erdogan does, and we saw it in in the FA Cup against Oxford yeah. that um, that assist he did for Eddie Nketiah was absolutely lovely, um, and obviously provided assist for the El Neni goal as well from the free kick. So I think that. Yeah, losing party could be if if that did happen would be a massive blow, maybe more so than Odegaard. But Arsenal looking in really good shape. Um, but speaking of Arsenal, transfer target they lost out on. We'll, we'll mention it quickly here. Mikhailo Mudrik um, has joined Chelsea. 100 million euros is the fee. If 70 million euros up front cost and, and 30 million euros in in potential add-ons. Um, this is a, a hijacking of, you know, Willian to Tottenham esque when when Chelsea yes. sort of pulled him from the medical yes. and, and brought him to Stamford Bridge. I, I didn't really see this coming until it sort of just escalated and suddenly happened. But this is what Todd Bowell is doing now, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's just. I, it's hard to explain. I don't think I've ever seen transfer policies like this no. where. Uh, one man just says no one else is allowed to sign any of the, any players. <laughs> I'm having all of them because I mean this is Arsenal signing Mudrick has been something in the works from August yeah. really. Uh, you know, when we saw him, you know, in the Champions League, everyone was saying, "Oh, Arsenal, are, you know, big favourites to get Mudrick from Shakhtar," and then suddenly, in the space of about 24 hours, he's off to Chelsea. Um, it's just really baffling to me how this is happening. To be honest, because it's what is it four hundred seventy-three million? Yeah, something now like that spent now. Yeah. Um, since Todd Bowley's come in, and he's he's certainly you know causing causing a stir up in English football. Ignoring the fee in terms of the, just a player fit, it does make sense why Chelsea would go for someone like him, um, and why you know maybe he suits Chelsea a little bit more in terms of you know Martinelli is sort of the starting left winger for Arsenal and Mudrik might be able to displace him but Arteta clearly likes Martinelli and would Arteta change up a winning formula and, and, and replace Martinelli halfway through a season maybe Mudrik is just getting bench minutes to the end, to the start of next season and then maybe can force his way in whereas at Chelsea he goes in is an immediate starter and is going to be a player who Chelsea rely on really mm. given the injuries and you know, given the fee paid, Potter's going to be playing him week in, week out, as long as he doesn't get injured, which will probably happen based on Chelsea's recent luck. But it is strange. It does does make you think, did Jao Felix's debut red card Maybe. force Chelsea to pay? Because yeah. they saw, you know, a, a you know a new signing come in and perform so well, at, you know, in that game. And then obviously to get red card and miss three games, you know, bring in Madrid to try and sort of replicate that, I guess. But... I think that Mudrik will be a good signing. If you ignore the, f- if you take the fee into account, then obviously it is an overpayment for someone who has obviously never left Ukraine in terms of his club career and has got what twelve goals um, in his senior career, I think. Um, but I like the player. I think obviously Klopp, the highest speed in the Champions League, so in the group stages this season, is a massive threat one v one, 
Um, and Graham Potter's going to have to fit him in and fit his playstyle around him because you've paid so much money for him. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, one positive I will take from this transfer is that it's not a nine and a half signing for Chelsea <laughs> because yeah. the, the thought of Havertz and Kunku and Jao Felix potentially lining up was horrid in my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got an out and out winger here who will stretch defences and has the ability to beat. A man one v one, which you know, with recent you know starting lineups, we've had Ziyech, um, you know, Sterling at times has like, sort of lost that one v one ability. You know, Pulisic, he's, he's also with the injury stuff that he's yeah. had, he's lost a yard of pace. Yeah, um, and obviously Mount starting out wide as well. He has you know absolutely zilch when it comes to beating a man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, having a one v one specialist on that left hand side is you know certainly a plus for Potter. But I mean, you were suggesting then that you know the only reason Bowley signed him is because Javier has got a red. It's a ninety million uh, for a, a three-game stopgap. I mean, pre- pretty horrid stuff. Yeah, I think it obviously it obviously boils down to more than that. But I, mm. I think that that maybe sort of forced Bowley's hand in, in regards to, to signing Madrid so quickly. Probably the interest from Arsenal sort of denying rivals mm. getting a player that they really want was another reason but also he will be a, a good player for Chelsea I think I think Chelsea ha- their recent record of signings hasn't been great um, obviously last summer's signings have, most of them haven't really worked out at all Koulibaly's been, been poor Aubameyang's been poor Sterling's had moments but on the whole maybe hasn't quite impressed too much um, so that will need to change with Madrid because you spent so much money and it, you've it's sort of got to work for Chelsea this, this signing um, but I really like the player from what I've seen, he looks really good in counter-attacks, but also can play against set defences. Um, obviously, I know it's the Ukrainian league, it's not quite the Premier League, but it still shows that you you can do that. And, you know, someone like Matoma, you know, was playing in Belgium last season on loan. Um, obviously, a pr- fairly similar um, sort of standard, obviously a little bit better, but, you know, he's come to the Premier League, he's sort of tearing it up. So, I have high hopes that Mudrik could be a really good signing. Um, I do think if he'd gone to Arsenal, we maybe would have worked out a little bit more because um, Arsenal have Arteta's proven that he can work with players and improve players. Um, so we'll have to see if Potter can do that as well. Mm. Yeah, it's, speaking of Potter now, um, it, yeah, even though they got a win against Palace this, this weekend, um, it completely ramps up the pressure on him because whenever they lose, whenever Chelsea drop points now, people will be saying, You've you've just had you know four hundred million just thrown <laughs> at you. Why why aren't you doing any better? It's just these sort of what what look like sort of snap decision signings uh, in the space of about a week. Just sort of especially for the fee, it just sort of ramps up pressure on an already under pressure manager, um, and he's going to have to you know get a tune out of Mudrick pretty quickly, Potter. <laughs> Right then, we'll move on to League on then, and we'll start with the reigning champions, the team at the top of you know French football, the biggest team in France, PSG, losing you know second defeat in three games, losing one nil to Rennes, a Hamid Traoré goal, only one shot on target from PSG, only one sh- shot on target in the whole game, sixty five percent possession, and um, you know this has let Lens fully into the title yeah. race. PSG are fortunate that Lons drew against Strasbourg um, in week, midweek last week because otherwise it would be one point in the gap if, if Lons had won that game. Um, Mbappe benched um, due to going to New York with Achaf Hakimi. Hakimi also didn't start. Uh, I mean, I don't really understand the whole scenario of that. I think Gaultier said that Mbappe only returned from that trip to training um, on Thursday, which is why he didn't start. Um, but you still have Messi and Neymar in the starting lineup, and you know PSG. Like, there's clearly some weaknesses there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ren away is always going to be a tough game, mm-hmm. no, no matter how good Ren are, because you know the atmosphere there is always top top class. But the, the way that Ren are under Genesio, they're all, this season they're going to be you know one of the toughest games out there in, in the league, and they just didn't look ready for it whatsoever. Especially you know added. The added fact that you know, Mbappe and Akimi were you know off, off on holiday in New York. <laughs> I mean, the, the sort of rumblings around the PSG camp right now is what we've seen for the last ten years. To be yeah. honest, we thought at the start of the season, Galtier seemed to got a lid on the, the egos at the club, but I mean, it's sort of spilling over again. Yeah, I think Mbappe was got loads of praise for coming back from the World Cup just days after 
um, France lost the final, but then to play games to PSG and then just sort of leave and go to New York, like it's mm. just it's just so random. Like sort of mid-season, it wasn't like PSG had like a break or anything like that. It was just yeah, completely bizarre. Um, I'm not really sure how that's been allowed as sort of like the club. Like you can't really let your players just go on holiday, you mm. know, halfway through the season. Um, obviously, there was a, you know one benefit, one plus for PSG was that Warren Zaremery had his first ever start for the club, 16 years old. Um, I mean, he's clearly a very special talent. Um, sort of thrown in at the deep end, really. Yeah, so no, that start, is a pro- starting <laughs> back away, to the fire, isn't away, it? Away to Ren, yeah. who obviously, you know, they've got young midfielders as well. Desiree Dewey, Uga Chukwe both started. Um, but yeah, to go in, it's sort of a, a big game like that. Um, you know, fair, fair play for Gaultier for trusting him, but you know, you feel like you know may, maybe it's a step too far. But he's a very talented player, and you imagine in, you know, he'll start to be embedded into the first team a little bit more because you know, he's shown at youth tournaments that he is an unbelievable football player, um, and you know you expect him to get more minutes. But for Ren, a, a massive win. Obviously, they're trying to get Champions League football. Um, I think there's still quite a few points behind Marseille, but you know they're they're in decent form. Obviously, um, Bourgeard missed this one, suspended. And Martin Terry, obviously, ACL injury. Um, so, you know, Ren matched up PSG with a back three rather than sort of the debate that we had over Doku, Sulemano, yeah. who's going to start. Didn't go with either of them. Yeah, what Tunisio. an awful debate that was in retrospect. Uh, Doku, Doku actually started the most recent game before this PSG game. So, ah, um, at, at, at left mid. Um, but yeah, P- Ren decided to match up PSG um, and, it, and it clearly worked. Um, mm. So, yeah, PSG worrying, really. Obviously, they've still got a lead over Lons. Three points, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they still sort of, you know, it's in their their hands really. But faltering form to lose two in three games, it's it's not something we've really seen from PSG too much. Um, but yeah, con- concerning. Do you think Lons can catch them up? I think it'd be a massive ask, really, over the you know the rest of the season. Yeah, because you'd assume now that PSG aren't going to drop too many more points. I mean, two losses in three games for for their standards is you know alarming. And they haven't, you know, eaten up too much ground on them. So you'd think Lon would have to be almost faultless. Yeah, it's like can Lons get any better than they are right now, and, yeah. and can PSG get worse? It's yeah. it, it is at the moment where your stage is thinking Lons are at their maximum level, PSG almost at their minimum level. Mm. So it's gonna have to stay like that for the whole rest of the season. Which may, maybe when the Champions League comes back, PSG, you know, place more focus on that. I mean, the league going games around that Bayern clash, maybe they, you know, rest couple of the key stars and, mm. and maybe they drop points there but I, th- I think it's you know you know you, I'd love to see Lawns do it but can't quite see it um what about you do you think do you think Lawns yeah, can do it or is it a, an unlikely sort of thing we just want to happen yeah I think deep down it's probably a pipe dream um with that Lille title winning season it was they got ahead early and they just stayed ahead they never they never like sort of blinked at all when it came to the title race and I just don't really see that happening this time. Mm-hmm. I, I think eventually, yeah, Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe will sort of click again, like they did at the start of the season, and they will just race away with it. Yeah, and you mentioned Suleiman um, just a couple of minutes ago, so I'll get back to it quickly because I saw earlier today Romano, uh, an exclusive from Fabrizio Romano, that Suleiman is open to leaving Ren. Um, that Everton, Bournemouth, and Augsburg are all keen. Obviously, not getting too many minutes. Um, but surprising considering when he first went to Ren, United were the ones linked with him and now he's been linked with, you know, relegation candidates in the Premier League and Augsburg. So do you reckon it's it's time for him to move on and, and try and find some minutes elsewhere? Because, you know, him and Doku aren't getting that many minutes. Yeah, I mean if he's below Doku in the in the pecking order right now, with, with the injuries and the suspensions you know, that Ren have got in them wide areas, it is sort of like a make or break sort of I'm not really getting my opportunity here. I might have to go elsewhere. I think you know, going Everton to Everton now is another baptism of fire, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think potentially for both parties, it is you know better for Suleiman to move on. Where to? I, I mean, Augsburg probably isn't at the top of his list. <laughs> um, he, right, this is probably going to be a bit outrageous, but you, the way City are playing right now, <laughs> get some runners. Sunamari can't buy a start for Red to go to Manchester City. If, um, if Pep you know, knew anything about league, he'd say, yeah, 
Suleiman is for me. Bournemouth are clearly doing something to address the forward issues because yeah. Suleiman has been linked. I've seen obviously they've been linked with Danjuma um, bringing him back, but also apparently they're, they're close to agreeing a fee with Lorient to get Dango Atara out, which I think is from his point, from the player's point of view, I don't know why he's doing that. I think he'd be, I mean, I suggested Leicester. I think that right wing slot would be, you know, perfect yes, for them. Yes, true. But, like, he could aim higher. Like, I think he's a really, really good player. Um, but I think Bournemouth obviously bought a stake in Lorient recently and you're clearly seeing the sort of sister club, I guess, relationship mm. there. Um, so maybe we're seeing <laughs> Uatara and Enzo Lafitte at Bournemouth soon, which I think would be, if Bournemouth then went down, would be a travesty really because yeah, I, I be want to tra- see them tragic, week yeah. in week out um, we'll move on then and we'll go to Monaco um, completely running right against Ajaccio a 7-1 win Disassi and Diata scored uh, to make it 2-0 within the first 6 minutes Benyeda grabbed a hat-trick um, yeah just incredible thumps for Monaco yeah I mean it's, it's not outrageous to expect you know Monaco to win this game but you know by the, this amount, yes, it definitely is seven one. And at the same time, it was Atalanta beating um, Solanatana eight two. Uh, I was checking my phone, and you know the server score notifications were absolutely <laughs> flying through. I couldn't believe what I was reading at times. Um, but Monaco definitely need this to sort of ignite their season again because it has been quite a staggered sort of season so mm. far. Sort of like Leon, who we'll talk about shortly. You know, one step forward, two two steps back with Monaco, and hopefully, you know, this sort of stat pad sesh sort of gets them going again. <laughs> yeah, obviously Ben Yedder with a hat trick, but Ben Seguir, um, you know, the, the player we've been talking about quite a few mm. times on the podcast, his third league start in a row. He's clearly been trusted, um, becoming sort of you know a key member of this Monaco squad, which is nice to see some promoting their academy still obviously seen academy graduate by the Chile joined Chelsea for what 35 million I think it was um, so you know the production line continues and Monaco you know they're looking good a good bet for European football again because they've been a consistent force in Liga and obviously Rennes win you know the level and points of Rennes now after Rennes beat PSG as well you know Marseille have won five in a row and they're, they're five points clear so you know getting into that spot in our third place is, is maybe a way off and obviously that is Champions League qualifiers if you finish third in league guns at the moment they're in Europa League spot um, but European football of any sort you know the competitiveness of league gun is uh, you know really high with the amount of sort of big teams there um, but Monaco looking a really really good bet um, but a team who have like you just mentioned there we'll get on to Leon then because you know another defeat a 2-1 loss to Strasbourg the only the goal they did score was a Lacazette penalty in this game, Lyon had 73% possession. They took 28 shots. They had double the XG. They're now down to ninth because Clermont Foot have won three games in a in a row. Lyon two losses and one draw in their you know last three games. It has been really poor from Laurent Blanc. Um, and after sort of a, a slightly positive start to his reign, it, it's gone downhill pretty quickly. Um, well, he's, he's fully reverted back to the back three now. Uh, that sort of four, uh, four-two-three-one experiment that we thought he was going to stick with. Mm-hmm. You know, after that four-two win against Brest uh, at the start, uh, at the restart of the league on season, using that four-two-three-one, we thought, you know, Laurent Blanc's he's, he's cooked up something lovely uh, over over the Christmas break, and they're going to stick with this. But clearly, you know, the results have gone the wrong way, and he's just thought, I've got to revert back to what. I feel comfortable with to try and just get any sort of results, and it's still not working. Yeah, it's just, it's just yeah, just just not what the amount of players that they have, like the talent at his disposal, they should be doing a lot better than ninth place in mm. league. And I know there is you know competitiveness, there are good teams in league, One, but Leon have such a good squad, and I just don't understand. Obviously, Lovren started, um, obviously arrived in January, and. Yeah, it's just you know. Kakare on the bench was strange for me. I yeah, thought. yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're not a fan of Thiago Mendes, and no. But whether you can play, you know, pivot of Tolisso and Kakare, whether that offers enough. Maybe Blanc feels you need Thiago Mendes in there. Did, but did against Brest, and yeah. he's just yeah. He's he's got scared basically. <laughs> he's he's realised I haven't cooked up any good sort of three four two three one system. I've got to revert back to type and go a little bit safer. But it's still not working. Yeah, I think it obviously this game, like 
based on the stats, they should have won this game. Like WXG, twenty eight shots. Obviously, not all of them on target. Seventy three percent possession. Like they should have been able to break down Strasbourg more than just scoring a penalty. Um, so that will be a concern, like the chance creation and where those twenty eight shots are coming from. But they still create enough to have double the XG of Strasbourg, um, and yeah, it's, it's 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 not really good enough. It's it's another season to forget, I think, at the moment for Leon fans. You know, ninth in the table, no real. I mean, was it twelve points off European places now? It's it's gonna. I think it's gonna be another pretty horrid season. Yeah. For Leon. Yeah. Um, and just before we move on to Serie A, I just want to note that Alan Virginius scored his first oh, league yes. on goal um, in Lille's 5 1 win over Troyes. So nice to see, obviously, a really talented young player. Um, I think he's 20 years old now. So yeah, nice to see him get on the score sheet for the first time in League 1. And we'll move on to Serie A now then. Um, and do you want to kick off with Napoli absolutely steamrolling Juventus? Yeah, th- this was the statement. Similar to Arsenal, of we're you know we're winning this title. That this was Napoli's um, sort of big statement to the league, saying no, we are serious about winning this league for the first time in thirty years. Um, I, I mean, from from the start, I, I, I think we all sort of knew that Juve were going to sort of sit back and sort of try and absorb the the pressure from from Napoli. But when Osman scores that early on, it just sort of completely. You, you tear up your, your sort of uh, blueprint for the game uh, straight away. Um, obviously, you know the goal itself, Osman's goal, the crossing takes a little deflection, doesn't it? Um, mm. Palatonas crossing takes a deflection. Kvarat uh, Skelly's effort, if it went in, would have been absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Fair play to Chesney for saving it, um, but you know Osman's on hand to uh, you know tap in with his beautiful head. Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, and then the the, uh, the second goal, you sort of see what Osman is all about. Yeah. It's that chaos that he causes for the uh, defenders. You know, that old Brazilian back, back three for Juve just couldn't live with him all day. Bremer, Alexandro for, for this goal in particular, and Danilo, all just were terrified of Osman all game. Uh, and he gets Alexandro on this occasion, lays it off to Kvara, and I have to say... I think Chesney should save that. Yeah, I I completely agree as well. Um, but I, it's weird Juve like having such a good defensive record, yeah. like not conceding in eight games, like winning all eight, to then concede five and lose five one. I know it's you know Napoli, um, you know a, a better opposition they faced during that run, but they faced Inter in that run, you know beat them two 0 and this was a game where you think yeah if if Juve can. You know, pick up a point or pick up a win in this game. Like they are serious title challengers, but this just showed the levels. I think, mm-hmm. um, and obviously saw after the game Spalletti chasing Allegri down yes. to give him a handshake. Um, and yeah, it was it was a complete schooling from Spalletti. I think, you know, Juve have have shown that they are going to grind out results in that eight game period, and they just weren't able to do that. Napoli just completely didn't let them at all. Um, and it was really it was a it was a, t- a title winner's performance, yeah. similar to the Arsenal one against against Spurs. This was a, a statement of intent saying, you know, look, we you know we you know we've dropped points losing to Inter, but we are not losing this title. Mm. And I think that obviously Napoli have been close in the past. Obviously, we're close under Sarri, but I think this is their time now. Juve are clearly not that convincing, even though they've won so many games in a row. Milan will get onto them. They drop points again. It's surely Napoli's now. I think. Yeah. I, I can't see in the world in which they drop, they lose this. Surely. And and you thought when Di Maria got that goal to make it two one before half time that they could have potentially wobbled in the second half. But I mean, the, the entirety of the second half was it was like a a parade of we are so much better <laughs> than Juve right now. Some of the goals at, um, for Elmas's goal. I think the the build up for it. There's like. It's one of the ones where there's a lot of passes. <laughs> I don't know the exact number, but it's like they're just playing keep ball for about you know, two minutes, and then they finally just flick the switch. The ball goes out to Elmas, cuts inside, and it's slightly fortunate with the, the deflection mm. from Alexandro to take it past Chesney, but it was just utter domination. Yeah, and, and Nap- Napoli have the strength in depth now as well. 
um, like Elmas is is mainly just got sub minutes, but I really like him. Yeah, I really like the way that like his dribbling technique is just you know so aesthetic. I think he's a really useful player to have in the squad. Um, and they've shown they're not just like a, a starting eleven; like they've got a really good squad. Um, so you do think that even if there is an injury here or there, they can survive it. Mm. Um, whereas I think you know Milan, who are probably their closest challenges, like Liao goes down, that's it done. Really, yeah. I think um, you know Napoli are now nine points clear. So you know they're they're looking such a good bet, and they're so fun to watch. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's just going to be nice watching them the rest of the season. Maybe the pressure's off slightly now. Nine points clear. Mm-hmm. Like, they can play, you know, you've you've had a performance like that. The confidence is going to be up. Beating sort of, your, at the moment, your, your closest rivals going into the game. 5-1. You take confidence in that and you think, yeah, this is ours now. Like, we are, we're going to win this title. Mm. Um, yeah, I've just been so impressed. It'll be interesting to see how they sort of, Go in the Champions League. How they sort of prioritise it? Do, do they think right? Let's just prioritise the league. We, we need to we need to win the league because we haven't won in thirty years um, yeah. since Maradona. Uh, or do they think we've got a squad here, we've got a team here, and a team cohesion that can you know do the double? I think that they can go far in the Champions League. Yeah. It's not just you know they're one of the best teams, the, the the best team in Serie A. They're looking like one of the best teams in Europe. And obviously we saw what happened when Liverpool went went away there, got completely dominated. I don't know Liverpool aren't having the best of seasons, but I think that was a statement of intent that they are ready to, to compete in the Champions League this season. And yeah, it will be interesting to see if maybe Spalletti rests someone like Osimhen in the league mm. to prioritise the Champions League, plays Simeone or Raspadori up front. But even if he does, I don't think that's like a massive trap. Uh, drop off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, the forward options are, you know, Raspadori, Simeone. There's not, yeah, there's not, a, like you say, a huge drop off. They're all quality forwards. Uh, but, you know, the, the round, of, round of 16 clash against Frankfurt will be interesting to see um, you know, how they fare because, you know, I think in terms of stock for Champions League winners, they're certainly one that's rising and people are, you know, <coughs> starting to believe potentially they could, it, with a lucky draw potentially, because you, you'd think. If they come up against you know Bayern, PSG, I mean I know they're a bit on, on the ropes right now, but you know those sort of teams with that you know experience of being there so many times before, this is in terms of European uh, caliber quite an inexperienced team. Um, you know how they fare against the bigger teams. Yeah, and we'll move on to Milan then. Dropping points again. They were two 0 down against Lecce, so they did well to sort of come back. Um, Liao scored a really nice finish at the nipple. It's really clever, really, um, picking the ball up on sort of a, an impossible shooting angle, really just catching the keeper out and the then collab. Should save it though, shouldn't they? I think so, but he's just not expecting the shot there, mm. and I think that's that's what does it really. And then Calabria obviously scored, um, but they weren't able to get a winner, and and that is, you know, a, a massive result in the title race, like we just mentioned. And I think that Milan's title hopes, you know, hopes of retaining the title are. You know they're slowly but surely you know coming to an end. Obviously, two draws in a row now, and that's massive when you have Napoli looking so good. Mm. And the, and the draws that they have. I mean, the the Roma game last weekend was just you can't believe that they didn't win it. Yeah, just the, the winning position they were in. Um, and yeah, to, to go down two nil uh, in that first half. <sighs> I mean, we we were saying it um, before the World Cup, like there's they're relying on moments of brilliance to sort of dig them out of games because they're, they're you know they're putting themselves in holes that are almost impossible to get out at times. You know the amount of times Giroud sort of come back from nowhere to save them. Um, you know it seems like that sort of looks gone for for Milan right now, and you know they're suffering for it. Yeah, and we'll move on to Atalanta then. <clears throat> you referenced it earlier their eight-two win over Salernitana. Um, this was just an unbelievable performance from Atalanta. Like this is Atalanta at their very very best. 13 shots on target, um, you know, complete domination, scored eight goals. Um, really clinical, really, you know, considering how many shots they took on target. And obviously helped by the fact, you know, two penalties. Um, Lutman's penalty, Ochoa should have saved. Then Ochoa did save Koopman's penalty and he scored the rebound. Um, but, you know, there were so many impressive performers, really. Um, first league start the season for Jeremy Boga. Got a goal and an assist. Um and you know, just last game out, you know, forty-five minutes sub performance, got two assists then against Bologna. 
So it's looking like he's maybe picking up some form and could become like a key player for Atalanta, which is something we've been waiting to happen since he joined from Sassuolo. Just never really sparked into life, really. Um, and like his goal, I was you know watching it, really hoping that when I watched the highlights of this, that it wasn't a deflection or anything. But it was a really nice dribble inside, and then just a massive deflection. Mm. It sort of sort of ruined the goal a little bit, but you know, nice for him to get on the score sheet again. Um, Lookman obviously scored, but was very lucky from his penalty. And Rajmash Holland. Three games, three goals. He's looking so, so good. Like finally finding his feet, and you know, he's showing the talent that he's really got. I think he's 19 years old. Mentioned it before. Like he's just so powerful. Can't really stop him when he's in full flow. Um, and Atalanta, yeah, looking really, really good. Obviously, Salernitana of sort of facing a, a relegation battle, but they look like they're going to be going to be okay potentially. Obviously, eight points clear of Sampdoria, but you know they've signed some big players. You know, Piontek and, and Bulajar up front, Ochoa in goal. But yeah, Atalanta just completely, you know, did one over on them. Yeah, I mean, Atalanta have the ability to do this to, you know, most teams in the league at any given stage. You know, under yeah, under Gasparini at times, you know, during his how long has he been there? Three or four years now. Um, there's times where they do look like on pay, like just watching them, the best team in the league. Like they do look unstoppable at times, but those times don't come enough to really, you know, mount a serious title challenge against Napoli. Um, you know that that um, the drop the points against Spezia the other week when it when they went two 0 down they clawed it back to two all but it, it wasn't enough. Um, just uh, yeah, obviously a great team to watch and especially with Boga mm-hmm. getting minutes now. Uh, I've been a huge fan of Jeremy Boga since that Sassuolo season in uh, two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty. Um, if if he starts you know consistently uh, in, in terms of teams in the league to watch. It's it's only them. It's only Napoli that sort of rival Atalanta. Yeah, and, and obviously the the top four battle in Serie A is so close. Like it's going to be such a good battle. Obviously, you've got Napoli way out front, but then it's Milan on thirty eight points, Juve thirty seven, Inter thirty seven, and then Lazio, Atalanta, and Roma all on thirty four. So it's going to go right down to the wire. Obviously, again, not yet at the halfway stage. Everyone's played eighteen games, but. You know, it, it's looking like it's going to be a real, real race. Um, you know, for the top four in Serie A, and, and Atalanta have just as good a chance of anyone if they, you know, perform at that. But the thing is, it is just inconsistencies, and mm. you do wonder can they find the consistency to get these wins? You know, regularly. I mean, it's all good, well and good, you know, beating Salernitana eight two. But if you're going to, you know, drop points against Spezia, like you said, mm. it's just it's maybe you know it's, it's not good enough really, considering the form of. I mean. You you just have to look at the league. Like you can imagine, Inter just going on a little run now. Like they they are they are on a little bit of a run now. Inter they seem to have found a little bit of form. Obviously, you know, draw two games ago, but you know, one now it's three. It's four wins and one draw in the last five. Even if the performances aren't that great, they're picking up results. Kind yeah. of what Juve were doing for so long, and that's that's what Atalanta can't do. Yeah, they I can't. Was about to say that, yeah, they can't <clears throat> play badly and win. Yeah, it's everything's got to sort of merge together to get. You know, there was three points. They they never win ugly, yeah. And that's sort of what's holding them back, I think. Right then, we'll move on to La Liga then, and we're talking about Sevilla again. Um, every single podcast we talk about Sevilla because <laughs> they are, that's the talking point in La Liga. Um, they lost again. Um, you know, we we're saying maybe last week it's the start of something, having picked up a win. But no, they're now in the relegation zone um, in La Liga. I mean, what what is happening to Sevilla? I mean, it looked like you know they were going to be fine. Went one nil up in this game. Nianzu scored a header, but I mean, the the way that they lost this game as well is just so damning. Trying to play up from the back, Nianzu gets caught on it, and then Yango Herrera scores for Verona. I mean, it's just overplaying at that stage. One all. You can't lose that game. You just can't, and they find a way to. It's. Um, I say it every week. What what is happening? It, it's it's beggar's belief how they're down there. But you you, you say, you, Sevilla. You'd expect them to eventually go on a little run, like a two or three game winning streak, where they finally you know jump out of that relegation zone and you know to safety because it is so close down there. But it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. The the way that they're just. In in this game, one nil up, and they just throw it away. By that sort of naivety, you, you're away. You're, you're playing away. It's it's the 88th minute, 
and you're trying to hang on just for a point now. Yeah, playing out from the back there is just you deserve to get relegated. To be <laughs> honest, I, and I know, you know it's, it's sort of stereotypical a little bit. You know, Spanish players always and Spanish teams always want to play out the back and play the right way, but sometimes you need a, a bit of grit, a bit of. <laughs> bloody youth ball to sort of see out uh, you know, at least a point just to see out a game away from home you know getting a point away at Girona isn't the end of the world yeah. despite going 1-0 down uh, despite going 1-0 up sorry um, but yeah to throw away the, the point the way they did it's just so uh, just baffling how the, how it's happening this yeah. season for do you them. think Sam Pauli they look to move on from him like it's clearly not working You'd have to say so at this point, to be honest, because you would have thought with the time he's been given, you know, that sort of mini pre-season he got in in December, they would have been able to, you know, cook up a little bit of form. But it's just not happening whatsoever, and it's the question now of who do you bring in? Because we we were saying this the other week, who wants to go to such a demoralised squad of (laughs) players to sort of turn turn their forms? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't know what Sevilla can do, and you'd think that they can turn it around, but we've been saying that for a while, and um, you know we'll, we'll see what happens for the rest of the season. Oh, but Steven Gerrard's out of a job. Yeah. Get, get a bit <laughs> he's, of getting the, he's getting the Poland job, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he is, actually. Um, Maybe so. he can do a dual, dual management. Yeah, like Ranyet was going to do. Yeah. <laughs> get a bit of Scouse passion into your team, and you'll be, you'll be safe in no time, Sevilla. Yeah, we'll quickly mention then, um, Real Sociedad four wins in a row, three-one victory over Athletic Club. Like this is a massive win for Real Sociedad, beating sort of one of your rivals mm. for Champions League for top four um, in La Liga. Um, Solos now scored in, th- in three league games in a row. The Kubo goal is very nice, um, little nutmeg, and then finish at the near post, um, all in one in one motion. So that's you know a, a really positive. You know, having Kubo on form is a is a really good player if you can get him in the right zone. And Sociedad seem to have sort of found that and their form has been incredible they're looking like the form team um, in La Liga really even considering the top two um, I think that's obviously you know a title charge is probably a little way off but there's no reason why that they're, they're probably now favourites other than the top two to get Champions League football yeah I, I think they're you don't want to jinx them but they're probably a lock in now for Champions League football I mean um Atletico Madrid are seven points off them in fourth place. They're, they're you know, they've got a healthy cushion there, and they're only going up right now. Um, in in retrospect, even though we, you know, because we didn't beat them two nil, um, we had to play Barca in the Europa League sort of playoffs. Yeah. Um, winning against Sociedad away was quite an achievement for United. So you know, fair play to me and United. Thank God actually for scoring. Yeah, yeah, great goal actually. <laughs> yeah. Um but Athletic Club down to eighth, two defeats and one draw in the last three games. Um form slightly tailed off. Um and they'll need to pick it back up if they do want to get into the top four. Um so slightly one for them, but I think they just come up against the Sociedad mm. side who are looking so just in the right zone right now. Like they look like they unbeatable really. Yeah, they are a well oiled machine at this point. Um and I also think uh, athletic club, since the since the Williams brothers have gone cold, it has sort of sort of, you know stagnated the, yeah. their season because there there was a point where they looked like you know challenging for for Champions League was was definitely on for the entire season, but it sort of tailed off in, in the last month or two. Yeah, and we'll quickly then get on to just finally Villarreal against Celta Vigo. Villarreal were lucky to get a one or draw in this game. Um, Celta Vigo had twenty one shots, obviously sort of facing a relegation scrap, a bit like Sevilla. Um, Villarreal had three shots. They had one shot on target, which was Gerard Moreno's goal. Um, very, very concerning, this performance. Um, you'd imagine it's it's maybe just a one-off, it's just a blip. Um, but, you know, Celta Vigo, a level on points with Valladolid, um, who are in 18th. Celta Vigo in 17th. You know, this is a game that you know Villarreal should, should be winning, especially when you've come into it, you know, winning three games in a row. Um, and with such a, a, a close challenge, I guess, with the likes of Betis, Atletico, even Osasuna, um, to get top four. And, yeah, really disappointing, really. And that's just about all you can say, really. Mm, I mean, yeah, we've spoken about, you know, Chuck Wazy getting, you know, th- those opportunities now, as well as Jeremy Pino. Um, but, yeah, no, obviously Celta Vigo, despite their, you know, lack of, you know, sort of form this season, they're always going to be tough opponents, yeah. Celta Vigo. Um, 
but you'd expect Villarreal to win this game with the form they're in and they just got away with one really yeah, just at least put in a decent performance be yeah. a one shot on target only three shots in total it's just not really good enough um, and Villarreal just sort of going to have to come back from it because it is you know you're facing some tough opposition to get top four and you know they're playing they've got Copa del Rey first against Real Madrid and then it's you know Girona Raya Vallecano Elche it's a nice little run there where you can go and get some points but needs to happen Right, well, mate, that is all we've got time for for this episode of the Batscore Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast app um, if you think you if you enjoyed this episode. Really, don't do it if you if you didn't like it. Um, follow us on Twitter, um, and we will catch you next time.